What is going on, beautiful podcast family? I hope that wherever you are on this planet, you are doing tremendous, and I am sending all of my prayers, good vibes, and love your way to you and your family and everyone you know. Uh, We have an absolutely spectacular episode of the show for you today. We have Leonard Perlmutter on, and we are talking about your conscience, the key to unlock limitless wisdom and creativity. Leonard is the director of the American Meditation Institute and the originator of the National Conscious Month. So he has been around this game for a long time. He talks about working with Swami Rama, alchemy, defining conscious, the superconscious mind, the four functions of the mind, uh, short-term pleasure versus long-term gain, the art of joyful living, how to overcome fear, how we defeat evil and oppression, the importance of will, and so much more. The show notes are packed on this one, so I know you're going to enjoy it, and if you do, please share it as far and as wide as you can on every single social media platform you can. To find this uh, podcast, you got to go to Libsyn, Spotify, you can go to Odyssey, and you can go to Rockfin, but you know, YouTube's taking me out. Patreon took me out. So if you want to support the show, please go over to mattbelair.com, become a member. You can do so by any uh, denomination. You'll see a link there. There's one for $3 or $6. And if you want to do another amount, uh, you can do that. There's one for nine bucks. Um, just send me a, a note, matt at zenathlete.com. You can have it for $0 or as men, as much as you want to donate because Patreon is now gone. So it's a way to keep this show going because it does take a lot of time and effort. Um, but the best way to support this show is to do three kind acts wherever you are in the world today. Um, I want to thank my sponsor, The Good Inside and Pure Body Extra. There is so much going around with Heavy Metal Detox, and they have the best Heavy Metal Detox. They use advanced zeolite. They they come with a ton of scientific literature about the power of uh, the zeolite to get the heavy metals out of the body. And so if you want to get a bottle of that, they're offering my listeners $50 off, so the bottle's only $13, and you just go to The Good goodinside.com forward slash matt m-a-t-t-b and you can try out the heavy metal detox it's something that i've been using loving as long as well as the super green drinks and, and the protein as well because i'm an athlete and uh you know one of the guests said you need a gram of protein per pound that's too much that's too much man i can't eat that much protein um even when i'm trying it's only like at 150 a day it's just completely nuts so um i've just been adding in the greens and the, and the heavy metal detox and i've been feeling really great with that um for those of you guys who really want to get clear on who you are you want to let go of all the limitations, all the BS, uh, all the self-doubt, and you want to get crystal clear on who you are, who you came here to be, to live your life purpose with tools and strategy and community, I invite you uh, to do some coaching within the Atomic Alchemy Mastermind Group. If you hit me up, um, I'm happy to invite you to a call as my guest, and also check out the Soul Compass course and the Quantum Heart Hypnosis Experience. Everything that I've created revolves around peak performance, but for your unique unique life purpose to put everything you are as far as strategy and mindset and tools and mastery towards your unique purpose and so if you don't know what it is we can help you find that the soul the soul compass and the quantum heart hypnosis is not mystical stuff you can go through a process and you can find it in the atomic alchemy group is for those who want that accountability because it's not just one day or two days or a week and now you know your life purpose it's a journey so that you leave a legacy and so if that's fascinating 
anything to you, hit me up, matt at zenathlete.com. I would love to work with you. I would love to hear from you and support you on your journey. So that's it. Let's come into a powerful state of peace and coherence before we dive into today's episode. Wherever you are in the world, just stop what you're doing. Take in a deep breath in through your nose. Hold that breath and let it out slowly, filling every cell, every muscle, and every fiber of your being with peace, joy, contentment, enthusiasm, faith, courage, and get ready to enjoy this absolutely phenomenal episode with Leonard Perlmutter. Hello and welcome to the Master Mind, Body, and Spirit Show. I'm your host, Matt Belair. As you know, we are currently overcoming extreme censorship. If you want to support this show, please go over to mattbelair.com, become a member. Um, you can also share, leave a review, do whatever you can to get the word out there. But most importantly, consider doing three kind acts wherever you are in the world today. Today's guest is the founder and director of the American Meditation Institute and the originator of National Conscience Month. He studied under Swami Rama of the Himalayas, whose lab studies at the Menninger Institute demonstrated that blood pressure, heart rate, and the autonomic nervous system can be voluntarily controlled. These findings have become a cornerstone of the modern mind-body movement. He is the author of Your Conscience, The Key to Unlock Limitless Wisdom and Creativity and Solve All of Life's Challenges. Welcome to the show. Leonard Perlmutter. Thank you very much, Matt. It's a, it's an honor to be here. I really appreciate the invitation. Oh, well, I'm very excited too. I got a, a chance to look at your work and your bio and some of the incredible things you've done. So I'm excited to dive into your book, but also your studies and your history and how you got to where you are today. So I'd love for you to share a little bit about your background and then we'll kind of take it, you know, wherever we go. I, I had an opportunity to go to Nepal and, uh, you know, one of the, I, ideas I had was to meditate with Tibetan monks. Um, but it seems like you were able to, you know, train with masters, which I find so fascinating. So I love uh, hearing those stories and, and the wisdom that comes from actually immersing yourself with those people who really, you know, spend a lifetime to master something. So thanks so much for coming on the show and just uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I, I guess uh, that uh, I've always been very philosophically oriented and very practical. So unless something has a practical application, I personally have an allergic reaction to esoterica for esoterica's sake. So that led me at an early age uh, to the uh, Cub Scouts and the Boy Scouts. Uh, and I enjoyed uh, that experience tremendously because it taught practical skills some survival skills. And in, in scouts, the, the motto was be prepared. And I once asked my scoutmaster, be prepared for what? And he looked at me and said, how would I know? <laughs> and that's the beauty of yoga science that I've been practicing and studying now for uh, 44, 45 years is that it does train you to be prepared for whatever kind of relationship comes so that you can make uh, the best 
of your speech and your actions in ways that will always enable you to fulfill the purpose of life without pain, without misery, and without bondage. And I was watching a video with my wife, Janice, at one time, and the, the woman who was on uh, was talking about teachers from India who were in the United States. And one of the names was Swami Rama. And our ears sort of perked up. Uh, he had a uh, summer uh, ashram in uh, Pennsylvania. And so we contacted them and got a, uh, a reading list. Neither one of us was interested in, in forming a personal relationship uh, with him at this time. And so for uh, close to 14 years, we studied without even meeting him personally. And we built our, our spiritual practice based on those practices that, that he taught. He, he was born and, and raised in India, uh, a, a great master. Uh, he taught in Nepal. He taught in Buddhist monasteries uh, uh, throughout uh, that area in Nepal and in uh, Northern India. And he was very practical. He was sort of like a scoutmaster. And so I just kept following my own nose. And at a certain point, we were initiated in, into that tradition known as the Bharati tradition, which is the oldest continuous spiritual and meditation lineage in the world the knowledge that has been stewarded by the Bharati tradition has become every single spiritual and religious tradition uh, on the planet. And it's all just very practical, commonsensical ways of looking at life and relationship. Wow. Well, I love that. And so the, my mind wants to go in, in two different ways here because I, I like the idea of the mystical. I like the idea of superhuman performance. And I also like the idea of, you know, what I originally thought of as enlightenment. And when I thought about it before, I thought, okay, like maybe you get some sort of special powers. But now as I get older, like just being peaceful, moving about the world in peace, moving about the world in faith, um, in in. Yeah, I think faith is the biggest one, especially as we look at these times that are very challenging and they're very uncertain. So you could be walking around in stress uh, or you can be walking around in faith and in peace and empowered and connected. And so I kind of see enlightenment or that idea more like that now. But also at the same time, I trained with the Shaolin monks and they could actually do some pretty unbelievable things. And you look at the work of uh, the book Yogananda um, wrote, you know, autobiography of a yogi. And he talks about some pretty mystical things, which are outside practical. It's like, oh, this is interesting. This is kind of nonlinear, but the teachings are always very practical. So it's what I found in my life with, with doing these studies is that those are like the, the mystical experience or the transcendental experience or the, 
you know, what, what maybe a new seeker wants, right? I want this expanded consciousness. It's almost like a, a little present and like, oh, that was nice. But really the work and the mastery is in the day-to-day. -day. It's in the simple, it's in the relationships and how you conduct yourself. It's the actions you take. And so I'm wondering if you could speak a little bit on that. Like, what do you think uh, the limits of human potential are? And have you experienced anything wild like that? And then how, and then we'll move into the practical forms in the book. Cause I, I had a little uh, glance at it and it's very practical wisdom, which is the most important. And that's why, you know, with, with people who are getting into meditation, sometimes the, the newer students will ask me, you know, how do I have these out there experiences or, you know, all that kind of stuff. I'm like, well, those are great if you have them, but that's not the point, right? The point is the practice and the process. And if you get that experience, it's almost like a gift that's beyond you. That's been my perception of it. And I'd love to hear your view. Well, my experience dictates that uh, limitations uh, on our creativity uh, in the world uh, is in direct proportion to uh, the faulty concepts that have been installed and that are active in our unconscious mind. So concepts are, are very interesting and we have picked up a lot of different concepts uh, along the way. Uh, some we learn from our mother and some we learn from our father our grandparents, our siblings, uh, our cousins, our friends, our teachers, celebrities, the culture. And many of these concepts that I now have stored in my unconscious mind are really not very helpful, but I carry them along. And whenever I'm in a situation where my emotional buttons are pushed, uh, I use those concepts. And as a consequence, I wind up in pain and I wind up uh, causing pain to other people. So the limitations can, can be changed. And, and that's, that's the purpose of, of yoga science is to make the unconscious conscious. The only way that we can change the software of the mind that currently acts as obstacles to our path of realization, to our path of happiness, health, and security. In order to go beyond those, we have to have a conscious relationship with them. And all sorts of relationships provide us those means. So if I am driving on the highway and some crazy driver cuts me off in traffic, forcing me to slam on the brake. What happens is from my unconscious mind, a bubble comes forward in the form of anger. And I'm aware of a tremendous amount of anger toward this, this driver. Now, once that anger has come forward, I can do something with it. What is the anger? Anger represents my creative energy in the world in a contractive, debilitating form. We know that anger can kill. We know that the more we give attention to our anger, it sets forth a, a whole cascade of poisonous hormones that can actually poison our system. And yet it's energy. And what did we learn in fifth grade? We learned in fifth grade that energy cannot be created and it cannot be destroyed.
but we also learn that it can be transformed. And that's, that's where the magic happens. Because when I am face to face with anger, I have a choice whether I am going to build that channel in my unconscious mind of anger, or I am going to transform a portion of it into healing energy, willpower, and creativity. And every relationship provides me that opportunity. I love that. It reminds me of uh, studying alchemy for a little bit. And, and one of the references they made is saying that most people think alchemy is turning lead to gold, like the actual uh, materials, but actually it's the emotional. And so when you're speaking about that anger, it's not, it's like lead or That's like right. coal. And so it is energy, but what, it, where are you going to direct it? Right. So we seem like it's negative, um, but we can actually use that in a, in a way that turns out to be positive. It's just energy and how we're going to transmute that and direct that power. So I think that's a really important thing for people to understand. It's not necessarily bad. You know, I feel like some people are talking about nowadays, everything needs to feel good and needs to be perfect. And, you know, I don't think, I don't think that that's, you know, necessarily true. If you've done a little bit of living, you know, life can be very challenging. Uh, I love to hear your perspective on like the definition of conscience, you know, like what, how do you define conscience? And then, you know, why do you think, or, or how do you, you talk a little bit about employing your conscience in every decision you make. And it, and it seems like many people live life on autopilot. They're not, they're not connected. They're just going through the motions and then they're having these experiences and they feel out of control um, emotionally, physically, spiritually. They're just on this treadmill. So I'm wondering if you could define conscience for us and how we might apply that you know, daily to improve our okay, lives. Okay, so I want to I start off by telling you something that I want to come back to later. Okay, so I'm going to say something up front uh, as a reaction to uh, what you, the question that you posed. But then I want to put it aside and talk about the conscience and what it is and what it does. The point that I want to make up front, though, is that every single decision and every single choice that every human being has made, does make, or will ever make is always, always authored by the conscience. The conscience is the only function of the mind that can discriminate, determine, judge, and decide. And it acts as a mirror. It acts as a mirror. And that mirror has the potential, has the potential to reflect wisdom from the super conscious portion of the mind. Now, the superconscious portion of the mind is uh, nothing uh, that most of us have ever heard or learned about. We learned about the conscious mind. We learned about the unconscious mind. But what is the superconscious? Is this uh, some kind of uh, a strange mystical uh, something uh, that, that is beyond me? And the answer is no. It's the same portion of the mind where Albert Einstein saw mathematical equations, where Paul McCartney can hear beautiful melodies. It doesn't mean, Matt, that you're going to become a physicist if you use your conscience. It doesn't mean that I'm going to be a songwriter if I use mine. What it does mean is the more that we intend to use our conscience, it has the capacity to reflect 
perfect wisdom from the center of consciousness that is within me, that is me, having this human experience in ways that will lead me for my highest and greatest good. Mm -hmm. But there are other voices in the mind that compete, and that's the rub. That's the challenge. Well, well, I love the analogy and the way you put it. So the next follow-up question has to be is how do we listen to the quote-unquote right voice, the conscious, the, the one that connects us to spirit? And so many people will speak about that saying, you know, you know, how do I know which one's the right one? Or how, how do I know if I'm making the right choice? And, and a lot of people, I think, too, also numb it. You know, they, they, they just stop listening to it because it's not practical or it's not safe. You know, it's like that inner voice. They just kind of learn to quiet it down and just, you know, follow the mind, you know, some say mind or heart, um, you know, whatever the case may be, but that real voice from spirit or God, the thing connecting you to the super conscious or the noosphere, however you want to describe that, you know, nature, uh, internal intelligence. I, I feel all of us have that. And so how do we know if we're communicating with that voice and then have the courage? Because I think, too, that more people know what the voice is, but they choose not. They know which one it is and they know the thing to do, but it's not practical and it's not certain and it's not guaranteed. So they don't want to do it. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Okay. There are four functions of the mind. We, you know, we've always known that there are multiple voices in our head. But we've never really been taught, and, and no teacher that I had really uh, knew anything about it. But there are four. First is the ego. Now, the ego is anything that separates me from my true nature. Anything that separates me from the pure consciousness, wisdom, and bliss that is me, that is having this human experience. So it's not just a bravado type of thing that modern psychology talks about. Oh, he's so egotistical. No, it's anything that separates me from the truth of who I am. And the ego, I always imagine the ego walking around with a chainsaw strapped on, on its hip. And whenever it comes across a relationship, the ego takes out the, the, uh, the uh, chainsaw and cuts it in half and says, oh, this is, this is good. Let's do it. This is bad. Let's not do this. This is pleasant. Let's go after this. This is unpleasant. Let's avoid that at all costs. Mm -hmm. And so the ego is very, very loud, <clears throat> very pushy very insistent, often wrong, but never in doubt, okay? The conscience, which is this mirror that can reflect wisdom from the center of consciousness, is sort of uh, a quiet and, and speaks only in whispers. Mm -hmm. So that's the ego, and the ego, you should know, is tethered to the reptilian brain, you know, we all carry that from this evolutionary trajectory that we carry all of that in, in, in our mind, that reptilian portion that is all about the fear of annihilation. And it's critically important that we examine every single fear because fear 
is critically important in our lives. Fear always takes one of two shapes. One, I'm either afraid I might lose what I have, or I'm afraid I might not get what I want. Mm -hmm. That's the ego. Another voice is the senses. Sight, smell, taste, hearing, touch. The senses through the mind project our creative energy into the world through the eyes and the nostrils and the mouth and the ears and the hands and the feet so that we can find out information about the material world. What kind of relationships are going to bring me happiness? What kind of relationships are going to bring me security? What kind of relationships are going to bring me health? Mm -hmm. And so the mind projects my creative energy through the senses to look and smell and taste and listen and touch and then bring back information into my awareness so that I can make a decision about what's to be done and what's not to be done. Now, these senses themselves, they're like sixth or seventh grade uh, children, right? They're really not discriminating. Uh, and they're very susceptible to the pitch of advertising. Mm -hmm. And so in our culture, if it looks pleasant and it smells pleasant and it tastes pleasant and sounds pleasant and feels pleasant, do it, buy it, and you'll be happy. That's not always the case. It's not always the case. It's, it's very much analogous to walking into a, a local tavern in your town and you can see over the door, there's a big red neon sign flashing all the time, free beer, free beer, free beer. Oh, that's for me. And so I start to walk through the door. And as I go underneath the sign, I look up and there's a, a small little handwritten note underneath that glaring red sign that's saying free beer, free beer, free beer. And I read it. And what does the sign say? Tomorrow. <laughs> free beer. Yes. Tomorrow. And it's always tomorrow. You see? So it's a fallacy. So the ego just the ego orchestrates the senses and, and we go on a wild goose chase all the time, all the time, looking for happiness, looking for health. We're well-intentioned, but we don't, check with, we don't check with the conscience. And the unconscious mind is the fourth function of the mind. The unconscious is the repository for everything that you and I deem essential to self-preservation. It's, it's a literal catalog of our merits and demerits our memories, okay? And so the ego, the senses, and the unconscious mind are, are our mental counselors. They counsel us of what's to be done and what's not to be done. They are all three of them loud and pushy. Mm -hmm. Whereas the conscience is very soft-spoken. And very often, even though the conscience is going to make the choice, very often what happens because the noise of the ego senses and unconscious mind is so loud, 
it overpowers the conscience's ability to reflect wisdom from the center of consciousness. So what, the, what happens then, the conscience just rubber stamps the limited perspectives of the ego senses and unconscious mind. The consequence very often is pain. Not all the time, not all the time, sometime they're right. We need ego. You need an ego. I need an ego right now to participate in this podcast. We need an ego. We need a healthy ego to drive an automobile. So the ego, even though it only has a limited perspective, is not always wrong. Same with the senses. Hey, I have a body. I have senses. Life is to be enjoyed. Okay. But right now, I just had a jelly donut. And that's great. And the conscience said, okay, experience a jelly donut. And then somebody offers me a second jelly donut. Oh, a second jelly donut. And what does the conscience say now? Oh, you just had a jelly donut. The second jelly donut is not to be consumed. Can I be mentally flexible enough to have that first jelly donut or whatever it is? Ingest it, eat it, experience it, and that taste treat without guilt? and still have the mental flexibility to resist the second one, that's the art of joyful living. So engineers have this dilemma between the signal and the noise. This is part and parcel of much of uh, uh, what engineers work with. Can't hear the signal through all this noise and you can't increase the sound of the signal. So how can you hear it better? And their answer is to turn down the noise. If you turn down the noise, in this case of the ego, the senses and the unconscious mind, the wisdom that's reflected by the conscience from the super conscious portion of the mind will be able to be heard then it's my responsibility, it is my work to sit the ego, the senses, the unconscious mind and the conscience around the kitchen table and coordinate, help them learn how to coordinate their efforts. I'm a holistic being. Uh, we need coordination, not anarchy in the mind because we wanna base our outer action on our inner wisdom, not just a limited perspective. So it's my responsibility is to parent the ego senses and unconscious mind to support the wisdom that has just been reflected by the conscience. And the more that I experiment with that, I feel better physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. Well, I love that. That's a very all-encompassing analogy. Um, when you talk about the ego, one of the things uh, that comes up for me is the idea our ego is connected to our survival. And mm -hmm. that's when I work with people trying to help them know what their life purpose is or get more connected. You know, For our ego to go around, I say, oh, well, what would you love to do if you had a million dollars every day for the rest of your life? They know what that answer is and they know what they'd love to do and how they pursue it. But the thing is the ego needs to keep us alive. And so for us to be alive, we need money. Um, so we can go buy food. 
So the, the conscious mind is going to distort that answer because it's not connected to the unlimited and infinite part of us. That's always going to be taken care of and know that we're, you know, protected and we're powerful creators and all that kind of fun stuff. So, so the, the word Islam means trustful surrender to divine providence, Hmm. trustful surrender to divine providence. The ego is fearful that it won't get what it wants. It, it feels that it needs the money. So it's going to compromise. It's going to, the mind is going to go with the ego, with the unconscious mind, with the culture, going to make choices that are counterintuitive, right? So my role is to experiment to see what happens when I go against that tide and my experience is I feel better physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. So I once asked a, a very uh, good friend of mine, colleague and teacher, Eknath Ishwaran. He was in California. I said, you know, Ishwaran, I love this teaching that I've been learning and practicing, but I'm self-employed. And uh, I think that it, this teaching is better for people who Perhaps they work for the government. Perhaps they get a check every week. Perhaps they have health insurance and a and retirement fund. I don't have any of those, right? So once I had that, maybe I'd, I could uh, go with this practice. And he looked at me, he said, well, you believe that you're self-employed. He said to me, I am employed by the self. And a light went on in my mind. Oh, He's employed by the self, the higher consciousness reflected by the conscience. I can try that. I can experiment with that. I know how to do that. And lo and behold, I say today, even though I'm self-employed, I'm primarily employed by the self. What does that mean? Since 1977, I have earned a living as an art dealer. My wife is a painter and I sell her paintings. Now, paintings uh, does not bring in a lot of money every day. It's not like selling hamburgers or hot dogs at uh, uh, a local establishment. Okay. So there was a time when we did not sell a painting for five months. <clears throat> and during that period of time, Things were really stressed because we, we had a lot of uh, guerrilla warfare going on with our ego and unconscious mind over this path that we were traveling. But we were trusting it, trustful surrender to the higher self. So it was in, it was in February, which is always iffy weather-wise, and, we, and I was having a, a retreat. And I had six people who were coming from all over the country. But there was a bad storm that Thursday and into Friday. It was a weekend retreat. And half of the people of the six canceled. So we had three people. Friday morning, the morning of the beginning of uh, uh, the day in the afternoon when the when the workshop would start we got a call from somebody and he and his wife had a cancel 
So now the six is now down to one person. This person was coming from Cleveland, Ohio, and they were already on the plane, on the way. Have to do the workshop. And all these thoughts about fear, how, how are we going to make a living? And, and uh, we haven't sold a painting. And yet we're going in the hole financially for this uh, workshop because we don't have enough uh, uh, registration funds to help defray that. So I called some of my students and, and they came over to sit in the class as students. And we went through and it was a great workshop. At the end of the workshop, the man who came from Cleveland, every time during the weekend, he would be looking at the paintings on the wall. At the end, when he came to say goodbye to me, he said, you know that painting that's in the living room? I said, yes. He said, I really like it very much. How much is it? I said, well, it's $20,000. He said, I'd like to buy it. And he bought it. So think about that. We have this uh, workshop set up. We need six people to, uh, make e uh, to break even. We were down to one. That one person came. And when he left, he left a check with us for $20,000. How do you figure something like that? It's impossible, but it does engender trustful surrender to divine providence. The ego might think, oh, I have something to fear. And, and maybe I should be doing something else with my life. But on the other hand, this man, this angel, whom I've never seen again, <laughs> I've never seen again, came for the teaching, ostensibly, but also to sell a painting for us. That's amazing. Well, I love that story. And I love the idea of being employed by the self. And the only way you're going to get those experiences is to have that leap of faith. I've had several of them. And one of them was recent. Um, you know, Patreon was like, uh, if you don't delete this episode, we're going to delete your account. Right. So what I did was I just re-uploaded it and they're fine. That was the first time. Right. And then they did it again. You know, I'm, I'm like, I'm not going to do this. You know, I was like, I'm not going to play this game. Um, there's no misinformation there. You can, you know, I said, show me what it is. And I will sure. show me, then I'll, I'll delete it, right? They wouldn't show me, right? Because it's just generalizations and they're, they're just doing what they're doing. And so I was like, you know what? Fine. I was like, you know, just, I'm not going to bend to your nonsense. And so um, I delete it. And podcasting isn't a business where you get into for making millions of dollars. And it takes a, a ton mm -hmm. of time and effort to produce everything. But I feel like the value of the people like you and the guests to share those wisdom and to know that there's good people out there and that there's a way to live peacefully and powerfully on this planet uh, in truth. And that's what we need more of. Um, there's so much negativity out there we need to throw some positivity and some spirituality and connection out there so anyway um i was like all right so there's, a, there's a marvelous uh, native uh, uh indian um, american indian uh uh truth the it was a time where the young uh individual uh brave was going to be initiated by the chief and the chief is talking to the, to the young boy, and he says, in life, during your travels, you will come across 
a great chasm. Jump. It's not as far as you think. Oh, I love that. Yeah, that, that's beautiful. Yeah. And to end, you know, the story when I just, you know, I've done this so many times before, so it's getting easier, but then I end up getting uh, two new uh, people that go into the the coaching group that I run and mm-hmm. uh, they're the exact kind of people I want with beautiful spirits who intend to do good, um, you know, who, who, you know, are basically the perfect fit. So immediately I end up receiving more than I had before by letting go um, by looking at it and saying, you know what, me, even supporting this isn't the right thing to do, right? It's just, I have to let that go. So you have to take the leap of faith to experience that. And I'd love for you to speak a little bit about uh, overcoming fear, because when you went through that, you, you touched on it a little bit. That's a massive one for people just to understand what fear is at, at its core so they can move about life in a more powerful way. There's so many people that want to do something or contribute it. And they say, oh, well, what will people think? What will my family think? Will it be successful? And all of a sudden they have this natural impulse, this fire that they put out through fear of literally the external world of what may or may not happen. And so it's such a sad thing. So how would you suggest people um, overcome fear? And then maybe even some bigger ones. We're in a very tumultuous time right now. Uh, Had some people lose their jobs recently that reached out and it can be pretty challenging. So how do you Um, help people just understand fear and overcome it. Before you can understand fear, you have to understand who you are. You have to start with uh, yourself. So right now, the vast majority of the people believe that they are the body, that they are the mind, that they are their thoughts, desires, emotions, and concepts. They identify with the mind-body-sense complex. I would say that every human being on some level does that. It's quite natural. This is is the limitation of our brain and senses and, and the body. So the issue is fear, but who is it who is afraid? Who is it who is aware of the thought that evokes fear? So who am I? And that's key. Because the truth is, I am essentially spirit having a human experience. I am pure consciousness, wisdom, bliss, and fullness, having this human experience. I am a citizen of two worlds, outer and inner. And the art of joyful living is to unite the two worlds, base my outer action on my inner wisdom reflected by the conscience. If I can base my outer action on my inner wisdom, there is no conflict in my mind. If I can reduce the conflict in my mind because I know who I am and I'm following the wisdom of my core, I'll get what I need. I automatically will get what I need. And proving that as a scientist through experimentation is the key. That's the theory. Okay, now in the midst of every relationship, base your outer action on your inner wisdom, not taking on too much too soon. It's just a journey, you know, one step at a time. Don't try for a touchdown right away. Just deal with what's in front of you in the present moment and see where it leads you. My experience is, yes, 
if my outer action conforms to my inner wisdom, I get what I need. When my outer action is in conflict with my inner wisdom, then that inner conflict projects outer conflict and pain. And that means fear. I'm going to fear because I think I'm separate. I don't think that I'm one with the entire universe and beyond. Mm -hmm. I'm separate. And where there's a separation between me and the other, that space between the two is what invites fear and danger. But if I annihilate the space between me and you, Matt, even though we have different bodies, even, even though we have different minds, even though we have different habit patterns, I know those are all subject to change. But within you and within me is the same consciousness. It's an ocean of consciousness. So you and I are one. So if I can annihilate the space between me and you in this relationship, what is there to fear when there's only one? Whom is there to fear when there's only one? So the first great freedom that you experience when you know who you are and you test it in the midst of every relationship, the first great freedom that you experience is the freedom from fear. It doesn't mean that you're not aware of fear. You're just no longer hijacked in the same way when your emotional buttons are pushed. And when you stop acting habitually, when your emotional buttons are pushed, the button pusher is not going to enjoy that game any longer. And that'll be the end of that. Well, I love that answer. And, and it reminds me of, of the idea of like many people moving towards their true identity. And when they do that, it's always of service to other people, right? Like, who am I? What do I want to do? And we, we go from what can I get uh, to what can I give? And you're saying we get what we need. Well, most people are like, well, I want this. I want a big house. I want all these things. So it sounds like that's a fundamental understanding. And once we can get to that, you know, it, you have to let a lot of that want go, but you do in my experience and from other people I've spoken to, uh, even if they were really wealthy, when they had that experience where they decided to change their life, they had an awakening or whatever you want to call it, even if they had a lot of money, they still had to basically risk it all to move over to this new way of being that was more service oriented. And I'd love to hear your example on uh, how you would frame the impulse from uh, a, a worthy goal, right? So I remember being in Nepal and I was uh, training with uh, Buddhist monks and I said, you know, I heard desire is the root of all suffering and I have a desire to sell a million of the books that I wrote uh, that are for kids to empower children. And uh, they, he said, that's not desire. I said, what do you mean? He goes, as I, he goes, well, it's not for you. It's to help others. And I was like, oh, that's an interesting distinction. And so how do you help people frame that, that impulse of like, I want to grow. I want to improve. I want to inspire. I'd love, you know, to do good on a scale uh, that has meaning. And my thought, you know, as I'm ranting here is like that scale happens over a lifetime, you know, of work each and every day. That's when you're going to see your impact. That's when you're going to see your legacy, but you need to enjoy that process. And if you can be whole and complete and harmonious where you are, 
that's where I think that the balance is really beautiful because if you look at a, a child who's three years old or six years old or 10, well, are they good enough in high school? Are they good enough when they've just finished university and they have a diploma? Are they good enough at their first job? And if they keep uh, moving the bar further away, they're never going to be complete in the process. And you being a lot older than in me, um, I've learned that as I continue to learn and grow, it's still an endless mystery. I only know a little bit of a little bit. And then all of a sudden I'll learn something that'll change what I thought I knew. And I'm like, huh? So I'm constantly engaged in this mystery. So I almost have to surrender to it. But my guiding factor is what your book is all about. Is that conscience is to be fully present, knowing my round table of the inner world and, and who That's I truly right. am. And then how I navigate that moment over and over and over and over again. Oh, well, you answered your own question. That's precisely <laughs> correct. But is it okay? Good. <laughs> Stay present in the moment and, and parent the ego, the senses, and the unconscious mind so that they coordinate with our conscience and everything is, is being pulled together and there's no conflict. And if there's no conflict in my mind, there's not going to be conflict outside, regardless of what kind of mayhem is going on outside. My mind is even. I'm balanced. And physiologically, there's a homeostasis. There's an evenness uh, with, within my physiology. So if I reduce my inner conflict, the, the, the conflict in the body uh, uh, is diminished. I'm not as, I'm not as uh, uh, tight. My muscles don't ache in pain. My liver is not, is not uh, in, in being threatened. So it can relax and serve the entire organism. So some desires that you mention are actually needs and they're meant to be fulfilled in a particular lifetime. As long as you have the good housekeeping seal of approval of the conscience, then every action is not done by me. I have allowed this mind-body-sense complex to be in service to this wisdom that is coming through me into the world through my thoughts, my words, and my deeds. And because I am not the doer, I have no claim to the outcome. Therefore, I have no expectations. If what I had planned for and worked for comes through, thank you very much. And if not, it's like uh, uh, with the uh, GPS uh, satellite uh, instructions. I'm, I'm okay with recalculating. <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay with recalculating. I recalculate a lot. <laughs> if, it's, if it's important enough to continue with it, I'll recalculate and try a different way. I'll change the equation. That's what uh, Thomas Edison did when he was looking uh, to develop an electric light bulb that had a, an appropriate filament and was economically viable. He had no failures. He had no failures because everything was a recalculation and a, and a redirect to another option. I love that. And I, I think that distinction and that addition is incredibly important to the result isn't up to you. And I've said that on a lot of podcasts on like, the result isn't up to you, but it's this honest impulse that you have with who you are. So 
you're the one in the environment doing what you're made to do, but that impulse is coming from the greater architect. You can call it God, spirit, nature, the universe, whatever you want. That architect is doing its thing. And so as you cooperate in that, it's, it's, it's harmonizing with the whole. And so you in your little peanut brain might have an idea of what you think it should be, um, but maybe it needs to be something totally different. And because I have an athletic background, I used to say, you know, if you could take the basketball shot and it'd be for the game chant, you know, LeBron James is shooting the free throw to win. And if he misses, he loses and he, and he misses, but he's still harmonious and okay. And full of self-love he's really in a powerful space because he's intending, you know, that's what he wants to do, but it's okay. At the same time, his, his whole ego and identity aren't attached to it. And we attach to our houses and our materialism and our success. And even with my podcast, you know, like some people would say, Oh, you have a lot of numbers. That's meaningful. Um, well, I look at it in different ways as like, this is a process of the work and the result is what it is, you know? And, and, my job is following that impulse for as long as it tells me to do it until another signal comes through and tells me to do something else. And the nice thing is the signal is uniquely for you. I like doing this. This is awesome. I, I'm so grateful, you know, to have conversations like this, to listen to this wisdom, to have this dialogue, um, you know, and then to share that with others who, who would find value in it as well. So it's such an important, important distinction. If it's your signal, right, that impulse, then that's yours to give. And you will be taken care of. I've never not had enough. I've always been okay. Um, and so I feel like it's a very powerful uh, way to live. So do you want to comment on that or should I throw in a question? No, uh, it, I think that's great. Uh, the, the most powerful resource that we have of all are our thoughts. I get thoughts. You don't get my thoughts. You have your thoughts. I don't get those thoughts. Why do I get this thought? And what is a thought? Right? <laughs> because, because this particular mind-body-sense complex has been chosen by the supreme intelligence to incubate this thought embryo. And the more that I incubate it, the more attention I give it, the more attention I give it, all of a sudden, it creates a concrete form. That means speech. I speak in service to that thought. And with even more concentrated uh, attention on the thought, I start doing something in the material world, even with different objects. I, I, I call Matt, Matt, you wanna, can you help me with this project? And, and, and all of a sudden now, uh, uh, the two of us theoretically are working on this. Mm -hmm. And so our problem is what we call likes and dislikes, likes and dislikes. Mm -hmm. we have become so addicted to our likes and adverse to our dislikes that I am in mental conflict. Everything is all tied up in knots mentally. I'm imprisoned by my likes and dislikes. Mm -hmm. But if I can go beyond my likes and dislikes, we already know that that which I like and which is pleasant isn't always good for me. We also know that what I don't like and is unpleasant isn't always bad for me. So if I can listen to the, to the conscience to explain to me what's to be done and what's not to be done, I can go against likes and dislikes. When I was 13 years old, I ate food that I loved. 
and I was in a lot of pain. It caused me a tremendous amount of pain. Well, fast forward to today, that 13-year-old mind is no more. So what do I eat today? I don't necessarily go after food that I love. I go after food that loves me, that loves my eyes, that loves my liver, that loves my pancreas, that loves my joints and musculature. And then through time and experience, I learned to love those foods. Mm -hmm. I love that more powerful uh, analogies and examples. It's, you know, it's very simple. Like you said, simple and practical wisdom. I'd love to kind of share a challenging one with you. Um, You know, how do you, I'm going to give you an example, but the question essentially is how do we overcome evil or defeat evil or the idea of protect their family or I'm trying to figure out a, a, a easy way to frame this, but you, you'll get it. So we see now a lot of change and, and there's a lot of deceit going on and there's potential harm. And so like if a family, if something wants, somebody wants to harm my daughter, right. As a martial artist, and you know, I'm going to defend them at that time. It's the last thing I want to do ever. I'd rather run away in the other direction and go to peace always all day, every single day. When there's systems though, oppressing other, I saw a really dis- disheartening video out of Australia today. And we know in our history that we're a very violent species, it seems. And it seems people do unto others what they should not be doing, right? Oppressing and forcing and things like that. And so from what you've learned, how do we stand up in a meaningful way for what's true, allowing other people their free will, but also protecting our family and moving in a way that, you know, it's like, yeah, you know, we're peaceful, but you can't just come take our stuff and harm us. <laughs> you know, and that's kind of, for me as a martial artist, what I've come to. And, and I see just more deceit nowadays, more uh, systems that are, that are not harmonious with life and they're not harmonious with good. And it's very challenging. And a lot of people that I speak with, they're very afraid of, of some of the things that are happening in our world. And I just love to hear you speak on that, how we can have faith, you know, stand up for what's right when it comes into our zone, but also be able to protect and provide for our family to the best of our ability. Cause ultimately I think it's a little bit bigger than any one person. Let me read one thing to you. This is a quote from Jesus speaking as the Christ from St. Thomas, Jesus as the Christ. He said, I took my stand in the midst of the world and in flesh I appeared to them, and I found them all drunk, and I did not find any of them thirsty. My soul ached for the children of humanity, because they are blind in their hearts and they do not see, for they came into the world empty, and they also seek to depart from the world empty. So you brought up a very important point about evil. Any kind of discussion of evil must always begin with the realization and the acceptance that human beings are essentially animals. So there is this ongoing battle within the human being between the animal and the divine. That's the journey. 
That's the journey that you're on. That's the journey that I'm on. That's the journey that every human being is on. But every human being is at a different point in the trajectory. Some human beings are uh, outwardly motivated into the world. And so that is the evolutionary journey. It's like the Big Bang, the evolutionary process. But at a certain point, it, there's a turn and, it, and the involutionary process begins of going within, seeking within and finding the truth within so that we can know how to go without and act in the world. So where does, what does that help us with in relationship to evil? What is evil? Evil is the shadow of inattention. When we disregard the wisdom reflected by the conscience, and instead we listen to the loud, pushy voices exclusively of ego senses and unconscious mind, that situation in my mind and in your mind and in other minds, similarly, orient, similarly oriented avoiding the conscience as the guide, relying exclusively on ego senses and unconscious mind, when enough human of humanity is following ego senses and unconscious mind without the conscience weighing in from superconscious wisdom, we experience some shared horrific painful circumstance. You could call it Adolf Hitler. You could call it Osama bin Laden. You could call it whatever you want to call it. Words are just pointers. They're just concepts. Mm -hmm. The point is that when we disregard the conscience, we have to have a consequence. Every action has a consequence. This is the Law of karma. This is uh, what Newton uh, uh, re reworded as the as the uh, third law of motion. For every action, there's an equal reaction. So, my thoughts lead to action, and my actions lead to consequences. When my actions are unskillful, and the mind is uncoordinated, and the ego senses and unconscious mind are driving the bus without the input from the superconscious portion of the mind by the conscience, we experience a shared, very, very, very painful experience. And we have a word for it, and it's called evil. How to go beyond that? Bring yesterday and tomorrow into today. Bring today into now. What is the relationship in front of you now asking you to take an action that will bring about a consequence? Stay in the present moment. Don't let the mind go off into the future with imagination, wasting your creative energy. Don't go into the past of memory, wasting your energy. Sometimes the, the conscience will say, oh, yes, Take, let's take a look at the past and make an appointment <laughs> to look at the past. Or the conscience might say, oh, let's, let's plan for this. 
Okay, so make an appointment and we'll plan for this. We'll, you know, we'll take a look, we'll make a decision. But we waste so much of our creative energy all day long, especially with the internet. Oh, did you see this? Oh, did you hear that? Did you have this experience? Did you have that experience? All my creative energy is being dissipated like a soaker hose in the garden. There's no pressure at the far end to do what's to be done when it's to be done because you have all these holes that are, that are spreading the water from the hose. But if we can take, a duct, take duct tape and, and, and tape up those holes, then there's gonna, there can be a mighty force at the end of that hose. That's what we need to fulfill the purpose of life without pain, without misery, and without bondage. Wow. Well, that's a powerful answer. Uh, I, I agree with what you're saying because I see a lot of people who are observing some of the things happening and they're getting lost in the, uh, in the balance of it. You know, they're, they're not taking care of themselves. They're in increased stress and what, what they're looking at. Yeah. A lot of it may be true and it can be stressful, but there also needs to be that inner harmony of where are you spiritually where are you physically where are you emotionally um and then my thought is to to think that if i'm created by a supreme being and i'm here and i have a soul then i matter and i'm protected and i'm gonna believe that as long as i can and not ignore the things that are going on but but not with that little spout analogy not spend all day there this is happening, but what am I doing for the solution, right? One ounce of prevention is, is more than a pound of cure or something like that. I was saying that the other day and I, I forgot what the analogy was, but I was like, okay, this could be happening. I'm aware, but I'm not fearful. I can now build this. I'm going to keep building as, as much as I can to move towards the positive, to move towards the solution, to be out of fear and into empowerment, knowing that I am being guided by something greater. It's a more empowering space to be in. And with that said, I'd be curious what your uh, thoughts are. Let me just are. parenthetically before you, before yeah, you. Yeah, 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 please. That, yeah, yeah, China. Because, because the actions that you're taking through, for example, through your life and through, through your podcast, you are dropping pebbles in a pond. And those ripples that are created are noticed by people whom you will never know but they, but they are being influenced by it. They are being influenced by it. So that's why it's so important to be in the present moment to know what our marching orders are. What is the relationship that I'm supposed to handle? Is it too insignificant? No, there is no insignificant kind of relationship. None, none. So whatever it is that I'm being asked to do, be of service completely, creatively, with the mind coordinated in service to the wisdom reflected by the buddy. And there, there's no telling what kind of uh, uh, effect it will have in the world, but it's got to be good. Yeah, I love that. I'm glad you brought that up because it reminded me of the idea that one of the great deceptions is that you are not powerful, you mm -hmm. know, that what you, that you, you don't matter, 
who are you in this small town? Well, of course that matters. And I love the analogy of if you don't think small things matter, sleep with a mosquito or something. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, but we matter to that relationship. If you look at the forest and there's a beaver there or there's not, right? His habitat is going to change everything, right? You matter to your families. You matter to every person you see. You you matter more than you think. People are observing you. We know now about mer- mirror neurons. And even if they're, if you do an action and they're not hearing you at all, nothing is landing on the mental level. Your example matters. Your vibration and who you are matters. And this great deception that who you are and what you do is insignificant is one of the greatest deceptions of our time. So if I'm watching, if I'm watching television and the internet all day long and all night long and filling my consciousness with, with fear and anger and frustration and impotence, what kind of vibrations am I putting out into the world? Exactly. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And so when you become aware of something that is an issue, what is the exact opposite that you want, right? So when I was teaching snowboarding, it's so simple. If you're afraid of landing on your head doing a backflip, that, that could be all kinds of problem, right? What is it that you want, right? You want to land it, right? So if you see all these issues, okay, I see you know these problems in this, what do I want? What's one thing I can do to now put a pebble in that cup, right? If I see people in stress, what's one thing I can do to install a bit of happiness? Maybe it's a post, maybe it's listening to somebody, maybe it's writing an article, maybe it's being a better example of health. But the conscience will always know what it is. Exactly. Will always know what it is and will always instruct you you if you can turn the noise down enough to hear what it is that is your next assignment. 100%. 100%. Okay, so let's let's make it practical as heck then because I 100% agree with you what you're saying. Somebody's listening to this podcast and they say, hey, everything in my life is exploded. I don't know what's going on and I don't know what to do and I have all these threats coming on. How do I apply my consciousness to know, uh, to lower the noise and just know what my next step is? What do I exactly do? Well, it's critically important that you base your outer action on your inner wisdom. So what are you going to eat? When are you going to go to sleep? Uh, Are you going to brush your teeth uh, after uh, your meals or are you not? Are you going to be hijacked by the ego? Are you going to be listening and coordinated uh, to uh, the wisdom of the buddy? So these are the types of things. If somebody offers you uh, a slice of apple pie and you have it, and that's great, but your conscience is telling you the second piece of apple pie is not for you, are you willing to give it up? Those are the things that we need to be doing. Small, seemingly insignificant. And if you can't give up a whole cookie, try sacrificing a half a cookie. Let your intention be known in the universe. I can't give up this whole cookie right now. I'm so attached to it, but I'll give up a quarter of a cookie and just see how you feel. So the highest principle of all of yoga is ahimsa. Ahimsa means non-injury, non-harming, non-violence. That means that we have to learn to love ourselves. We're part of the equation. We are part of the equation. And so the more that I can take on small things, easy things, I increase my energy, my willpower, and my creativity. Those strategic resources are accessible to me in every relationship. That's the key. I love that. You brought up another great point in, 
and it is so important to understand it is the small things. It, you know, when I went in and I studied human trafficking and, and worked on bringing awareness to that through a, a few different projects, if I could push a button and stop it, I would immediately. All of us would. We, we want what's best, but unfortunately, we don't have that power. So that little power of wherever you are in the world to, to make a little bit of a better decision, right? What are you eating? Because it affects how you think. Are you exercising? Are you taking care of yourself? Are you speaking kindly to yourself? Are you speaking kindly to others? Are you asking? asking for guidance? Are you, are you doing a bit of journaling? What is the thing that you know how to do to center yourself to connect with nature? You could go for a walk. He could sit by. There's many things. You're going to know what that is. It's not rocket science. And it's also not like God coming from a telephone, you know, saying, Hey, this is the thing you need to do. It's the subtle impulse that, you know, and that matters. That's the thing is we think that these insignificant things that we do don't matter. And what you're saying and what I'm saying is they absolutely 100% matter probably more than you know. And I love that you touched on um, willpower. And I feel like once we start to get clear and we get a little momentum, we often think about ourselves as the lowest common denominator. I don't matter. What I do doesn't matter. Um, I can't affect change. And I love the idea of, you know, those stories where a mother um, has a car accident and their baby's trapped in the car and they lift up the car. And, and um, I remember reading uh, Yogi, Yogananda's books, uh, Scientific Affir Affirmations, and he's like, well, the reason why you're not getting a result in the field is because you have no will towards your spiritual soul, your energy, who you are, like the divine spark. And so, you know, you say, oh, I love the idea of like making a change or getting to health, but if we're an electromagnetic universe, it might be like the smallest decibel, like boop, 0 0.01 on the electrical scale, right? But when the mother goes to that car, she's not thinking about anything, but this thing is moving. Everything that I am, every cell in my body, she's not thinking about anything. She's like, my force is going to move this thing and everything is directed. Yeah. And all of a sudden that happens. And so that's the art of connecting to the will and martial arts teaches you that a little bit when you're, you're directing force, you go into the inner world of directing the energy and then boom, you put it to the outer. You go world. within before you act without. Yes. You center yourself within and, and then you can go without. And this culture is just the opposite. We avoid the within we're afraid of it. Uh, and we, we want to manipulate, we want to control, we want to obliterate the without to, to conform to my, uh, my uh, uh, imagination of, of what's going to make me happy. And so the problem has nothing to do with IQ, a lot of very brilliant people. The problem is WQ, will quotient. We are bankrupting our will every time that we go against our conscience. So we want to start off a small, seemingly insignificant to build the muscles of willpower. So if I never did uh, uh, any kind of exercise before, I don't go to the gym and start uh, lifting 200 pounds. I might just start with the bar and then add two pounds and then add four pounds and then add six pounds. Within a couple of months, I'll be lifting some substantial weight and I'm not injuring myself. I'm loving myself. I love it. Well, that brings up another great analogy. Um, it's, I heard this before is you, you, you erode your self-confidence by not by breaking agreements with yourself. And you said it in a different way by uh, going against your conscience, you know, those little decisions, right. And that's 
for me in my life anyway, where I've been able to make these bigger and bigger leaps of faith, where if you look at it logically on paper and have people tell me directly and I say, yeah, I understand that this doesn't make any sense, but this is the thing I'm going to do because I know it's what I'm supposed to do. And it always works out. You know, there's challenges along the road, but it's, it's not going against the conscience. It's not going but it's the will and you know, but it's starting with those small things. So I think that that's amazing to just those, those little agreements, just to go in or look, and it's not about being perfect. And I like what you said about the cookie, you know, just, you know what, eat three quarters of it and save one bite. That's a little tiny step. Cause then there's half. And then you could say, okay, well with that cookie, what's one thing I can do that loves and supports my body. So I'm going to walk around the block simple, but that, that idea and that attitude over time, over three months of time, you'll be in a whole new person. You'll be in a whole new space. It's, it's absolutely transformational. And, and the same with the, you know, the weightlifting analogy. I know that one personally, because that's exactly what I do. And I'll go to the gym and I'm surprised at sometimes how much weight I can move because I like being an athlete and, but I don't, I don't force it. My workouts are some of the simplest ones right. and they're effective because I'm listening to my body. I know the thing that I want. And to you're doing it regularly. And I'm doing it regularly. Exact consistency is the key and that's it. And consistency over time. So that's incredibly powerful. Is there anything else you wanted to add on to that? But uh, I just think the will and, and the consistency is so key. Well, uh, it is. And uh, uh, the, the idea that uh, the ego, when we, when we don't use the muscles that we have to do what's to be done and what's not to be done, the ego gets a hold of that and uses it against us, you're no good. Mm. Uh, and, and it engenders guilt. And, and that keeps us from the next uh, relationship, from, from doing what's to be done. So uh, I wind up with, with no willpower and, and, and tremendous amount of fear and tremendous amount of anger and tremendous amount of uh, selfish desires. And the culture doesn't have a problem with that because at a certain point, I'll buy something that promises to make me happy. Uh -huh. But that never works. It never works. It's, it's like a little vacation. For five minutes, I'll have a candy bar, right? I'll have a drink. I'll go to Vegas, right? But every vacation is always over, and it's still the same issue. It's like Groundhog Day, right? So just start where you are. Be in the present moment. Serve the inner wisdom of the conscience and give the ego, the senses, and the unconscious mind a new perspective and a new experience. And they'll grow too because they want to be happy. They want to be fulfilled. Okay, let's pull together. We, we're, we're, a, we're a complex organism. We're holistic. Let's pull together. I love it. I could chat, I could chat to you all day. So I'm going to throw a big one at you. I know we're, we're getting close to the end on time here, but from your perspective and all your studies, what do you think the meaning of life is? What the hell is going on here? <laughs> the meaning of life is what you, what you, uh, however you define it, however you define it, however you define it. For me, I got to have a purpose. And that purpose has led me to be of service. Because I know, and I know that I know, that I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yep. 
It's true. I think that's one big thing there is, is humbling yourself to the mystery. I believe Socrates has a great, the one thing I know is I know nothing that might be Aristotle, but it's true. And I, it's funny as an adult um, over the years, I've noticed this because I'd interview very brilliant people, but you'd have to humble yourself to know it's just an idea because nobody can really know. Like we can, there is some knowing that we have, you know, that if a car is on the highway and we stand in front of it, we're probably going to die, stuff like that. But these big things, the meaning of life and what's going on here and who's in control and these ancient wisdoms, it's we have the only thing we know is what we're going to integrate and experience, right? And then we've kind of learned from that. And we're kind of meandering around, you know, trying to guide ourselves and then listen to our fellow man and say, oh, hopefully they're guiding us positively. I did that. And that's with, with the podcast and stuff that I've done and say, Hey, this is something that I did. And this is what it did for me, you know, hopefully, but maybe your path is totally different, but there's, I love the analogy of there's a million ways to the road home, you know, towards God or towards spirit or towards, you know, the divine and whatever you define it. So I love that. And I, and I agree with the answer. I like Alan Watts's answer too. He says, uh, uh, the meaning of life is simply to be alive. You know, we're engaged in this mystery right? Because you're older and wiser than I am. And to you, it's still a mystery. So it's like, okay, I've surrendered to that mystery, but I'm going to participate fully in it. And the one thing I do know, though, which I find fascinating is my intent, my conscious and my intent, I could intend to do good and mess up, right? You know, right now I'm putting out harmful information and it could get worse, right? But it's like, I know my intent is positive. Um, hopefully it will serve in a positive way. But that's about the only thing we can know for sure here is our intent. And so if we can honor that and honor our conscious, we keep our soul uh, pure, right? And But that's ultimately up to us because I've said on a, on a show I was recently on, it kind of dawned on me. It's like they can poison our mind and they do through all sorts of means. They can poison our food and they do through all sorts of things, um, but they can't poison our spirit. Only we can do that. Yeah. So uh, a student of uh, St. Teresa once asked her, don't you hate the devil? And her, her uh, response was uh, rather interesting. Don't you hate the devil? Her response, I don't have time. <laughs> I don't have time. I'm in the present moment. I have all these uh, 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 relationships I have to uh, be of service to selflessly in service to. I love that. I'm glad you uh, cleared it up because I had a couple guesses, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. And you're going to spend equal amount of uh, time and energy hating and trying to stop than you can to build focus on the growth. And that's what I've kind of, you know, if you see a problem in a disaster, focus on who you can help right? You can't stop the disaster. And if it's, if it's bigger than you, if it's a tornado, if it's whatever scenario that's out of your power, but what's in your power is to help where you see you can help, you know, yeah. now you're empowered. Now you're like you, that hose analogy, all <laughs> of your energy is directed for that, right? You, you know, shouting at the storm or shouting at the, the bad thing. It is a bad thing, right? It's like, you know, people are afraid of bears. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Like, you know, when I, when I hike, um, you know, out, out West, people are afraid of the bears, you know, I was like, I, I'm okay with the bears. And yeah. if I encounter the bear, it's going to be, you know, I'm not going to be afraid of it. It's like, it, it gets to exist too. It's not necessarily bad. Right. right. 
I kind of surrender. If he's going to eat me, he's going to eat me, but I don't think that should happen. You know, I kind of like surrender to the higher purpose. I I think it was, that analogy was more clear in my mind. It might not have come up exactly how I wanted. Um, But I'd love to ask, uh, is there, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd chat with you all day. I'll throw in one quick one. And then if you have any other things you'd love to chat about, let me know. What's your view on the ascended masters? Do you think they were physical people? Do you think it's analogies? Cause I just did a law summit and all these experts from around the world, they told me that the basically the contract on the planet is a 1611 King James Bible, only for the reason that the queen swears her oath on it. So when you go into the courts, she kind of owns, you know, all these lands still. So when you know that, and they're trying to do an act or a statute, so this has nothing to do with being right or wrong. That's if you harm someone, that's different. That's criminal. There needs to be a person on the other side, but everything else is an act or a statute or a code or an ordinance, right? And they say that actually the contract is the 1611 King James Bible. So if you know that, uh, you can use it in courts. And so I thought that was a fascinating thing about the Bible anyway, but I was curious. And so I heard a lot of different theories in those groups about what that is. What's your view on the ascended masters or people like uh, Buddha and Jesus, and even like some of these uh, recent masters like Yogananda, when you read his book, you hear masters appearing and reappearing and it seemed like an, an honest account. It seemed like an honest book, right? So I tend to kind of agree. You know, I, I was, I'm going through Richard Dawkins right now, Power Versus Force, and he said, optimistic people tend to agree with people until they're proven untrustworthy and, and pessimists don't agree until it's, you know, proven unequivocally. So I just like, I tend to agree to, to, to think he had those experiences. So I'd be curious your view on all those things. I don't give things like that too much attention. Fair enough. <laughs> I, it, it's not attractive to, uh, to me uh, uh, to uh, uh, give my creative energy uh, to uh, trying to figure it out or ex- uh, accepting it or rejecting it. Uh, it's, uh, I, I, see, I, I see it as, an, as a distraction mm. for me. So- yeah, no, that's fine. And so would you think, uh, would your process be anyway, if you're studying things in, in the Bible or Buddhism, you just take what works, like takes what, what's useful for you and to apply it? Well, I know I know that the Bible, uh, uh, both the Old Testament and the New Testament, it's, it's all uh, an interpretation of yoga science, hmm. the eternal truth. And so uh, uh, I go back to the origin. And it's all about relationship. It's about basing outer action on inner wisdom, staying in the moment, getting the mind out of the past, getting it out of the future, be, have one-pointed attention, cultivate the detachment, create a space between stimulus and response so that I can check with my conscience and then exhibit the necessary willpower to do what's to be done or not do what's not to be done. That's, that's where I live my life. That basically sums up all of the spiritual texts in like a few words. So that's, that's brilliant. Um, my view is that, you know, I take the Bruce Lee approach where he applies what works uh, and disregards what doesn't. So that's, that's where I am with it. When I read the books and things like that, I'll apply something. And if it's useful, like you said, beneficial, there might not be weight to that inquiry, right? I don't see the benefit. But straight, straight is the gate and narrow is the way because the uh, it's, it's a trap to become a, a, a spiritual tourist. Mm. It just, you know, time is too short and, uh, and uh, my creative energy uh, is uh, being called in, in different uh, directions most of the time. 
to dissipate it here and there and everywhere just for ego gratification. Got it. Love it. So when you're talking about the origins, do you have a, a book or reference that you enjoy that you feel like is the origins of, of spiritual teachings as far as you've discovered? I would say the Upanishads. I wrote a book called The Heart and Science of Yoga. <laughs> it's an interpretation uh, of everything uh, that uh, uh, originated uh, six 6,000 plus years ago. But for today, it's an application, a practical application for today. Uh, it's not for everybody. That, that's why, uh, uh, that's why uh, you know, I wrote uh, you, Your Conscience. It's, it's acceptable. It's bite-sized. Mm. Awesome. Well, I love it. Well, this has been a treat. I really enjoyed this I, episode. It's, it's been, uh, I, I've, I've really enjoyed it. Oh, good. Love your um, energy. I love your mind. Oh, thank you. Is it, well, is there anything that you wanted to touch on or anything that you wished I'd asked before we, we close it up? No. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. We're complete. This is good. We were complete before we started. Uh, yeah. Um, okay. So where, if people want to check the, I highly recommend people check out your work, check out the book. Like, you know, from me interviewing a lot of people, I always know somebody who knows their stuff um, for a long duration of work and, and being able to persevere. But that last sentence you shared, you know, it was so succinct. And when I read whole books on Zen and mindset and things like that, it literally comes down to those two things or those few things, those few ideas, that, that little space before responding, you know, that's, that's where your freedom is. Otherwise you are just an, an animal re responding to signals. It's just cause you get angry. It's not bad. You know what I mean? It's okay. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to direct right. it? Or what are you, you going to do respond? with it? How and am I going to dance with it? Yeah. And that's the first thing they teach you in martial arts. You know, you're a kid, you get angry, you know, ah, bam, bang, <laughs> whack your sister, right? But as adults, we still don't learn those basic things, right? So uh, I just appreciate your work and um, coming on the show and sharing. So if people want to find out more, where do they go? Uh, well, our website is AmericanMeditation.org, AmericanMeditation.org. And the book uh, has uh, a website called yourconscience.org, yourconscience.org. Uh, we have uh, a free guided meditation and conversations just like you and I have had every Sunday, Eastern time from 9.30 in the morning till 11. And you, you'll be able to uh, meet other uh, spiritual seekers and you'll receive a, a recording of, uh, of the, uh, the, uh, the event. Uh, the next day. I, I guess those are the things. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. This has been a treat. We'll, we'll be in touch and I wish you all the best and definitely invite the audience to check out your work, uh, support. You know, if you get the book, leave a review, it helps and share it with others if it's helpful. So thanks so much, Leonard. Have Thank a wonderful day. Invitation. I deeply appreciate it. My pleasure. God bless See you. you later. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen, the absolutely spectacular Leonard Perlmutter. I hope that you enjoyed that episode. It was chock full of just absolutely useful um, 
wisdom that you can actually apply. And so I invite you to check out his work, to check out his book. If you like this episode, please share it as far and as wide as you can on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, wherever the heck you are in the world. Telegram, go find me on Telegram because the censorship and the and the blacklisting and, and all of that is incredibly challenging. So we really, or I really rely on you guys to help get that word out there because if we're not going to stop, I'm going to keep doing this no matter what they do, how they affect the bank or whatever the case is. I'm going to keep um, putting out episodes. So if you want to support this, share it, leave a review, um, become a member at mattbelair.com and you can do so for free or by donation. Um, that would be incredibly helpful as well. Um, support our sponsor, thegoodinside.com forward slash Matt, M-A-T-T-B and uh, check out their Pure Body Extra Zeolite. It is a very powerful heavy metal detox and it's very important to have in your life in these times because heavy metals are freaking in everything. Um, so I'm happy to have them as a sponsor because I use their product all the time. Um, and check out you know some of the stuff with Soul Compass and the Quantum Heart Hypnosis because this entire podcast, all these years of work has been to help you know who you are, to live your life purpose, to develop your connection with the creator, with God, with whatever that spiritual force is so you can live in a alignment and when a person does that they're more fulfilled themselves but they also contribute to community so it's in hopes to give you all the tools and training and strategies so you can do that so you can do it through the podcast through the soul compass training course through the quantum heart hypnosis and through the atomic alchemy coaching group and so all that is accessible to you for those who are ready to take action so if you're hearing this and you're thinking about it take action send me an email i'll send you something to accelerate your process and help give you clarity and empowerment so that's it guys thank you so much for listening um let's uh, come into a state of peace and coherence before we close out wherever you are in the world just stop what you're doing take in a deep breath in through your nose hold that breath and let it out slowly filling every cell every muscle and every fiber of your being with peace joy contentment enthusiasm inspiration courage faith and get ready to enjoy the rest of your day So thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.